Advent 2021. It's kind of an exciting time for us. Advent, our theme for this Sunday is the theme of hope. So we're going to be talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth. But before I do that, I want to tell you about my experience going out to eat about a couple months ago with my family. It was after church on a Sunday, and Becky and I and our two kids, we went to Westside Social to have lunch. Very good place, by the way. And we're sitting there having lunch, and I observed this table about kitty corner from us with about four young people. They're probably all in their mid to late 20s. They look like four young people that were out to have a good time, to have a nice lunch together. And what caught my attention was the one girl that was sitting at the table was literally holding her cell phone this close to her, her face the entire time. Not once did she put her cell phone down. The entire time she's had, had holding her phone in her hand. And as I watched the meal, I kind of felt sorry for her because her three other friends were having a great time. They were talking, they were laughing, they were enjoying each other's company. And she was staring at her phone the entire time. And when the meal started, she spent most of her time observing her friends and occasionally glancing at her phone. But by the end of the meal, she was predominantly looking at her phone and occasionally looking at her friends. And I felt bad for her because I thought, you are missing out on what's happening at your table. And you're actually missing out what's going on in your phone as well because you're not engaging with that group of people either. You're just kind of isolated, but you're sitting around a bunch of people. And as I walked away from that restaurant, I kind of thought to myself, I thought, you know, that young girl is sitting between two different realities. She has a reality of online, online life, and she has a reality of friends in the room with her, and she's missing out on both realities. Because she's looking for something that nobody's meeting in her online world or her friend world. And as I thought about it for a while, I thought, you know, as followers of Jesus, we all live between two distinct realities as well. We are all trying to navigate our life living in two distinct realities. If you go to Hebrews 13, the author tells us, for this world is not our permanent home. We're looking for a home yet to come. So we know that this world that we're in, we live here, we, we have our family here, we work here. This isn't it. This is temporary. And then Paul tells us on the book of Ephesians something that sounds a little bit strange. He says, For when God raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realm before we were united with Christ Jesus. So here we are, we're living on earth, but part of us is already living in heaven. Part of our spirit is already living in heaven. And these are two distinct realities that we live in. And we're all trying to reconcile. How do you do it? And then the apostle Peter adds this to us. He tells us in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, he says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And there you have it. Peter tells us, yeah, you're living on earth and you're living in heaven. And while you're here, you have every single thing that you need. And I think sometimes we wonder, do I really have what I need? Do I really have everything that I need? Because quite honest, if, if I was going to be very honest, personally, I don't feel like I do. Sometimes I feel like I, maybe I'm lacking something. Maybe some of you know that feeling, like you feel like maybe I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. 
Or sometimes you feel like I probably financially, I could use a whole lot more. I don't feel like I have everything I need. Or maybe sometimes emotionally, you don't think you have what you really need. And I think sometimes we would like to respond to Peter's passage in real honesty and saying, prove it to me. Prove it to me that I have everything I need. I don't think we would dare say that, but I think sometimes inside of our head we want to say, would you prove it to me that I have everything I need? And that is what I think is the beauty of Advent. I think the beauty of Advent is that God comes into our situation. He comes into our situation of living between two realities of what I want and what I need. And Advent says, God says, I'll prove it to you and I'll show it to you that you have every single thing that you need right now. But I think in order for God to prove it to us, we have to be asking the right questions. I don't think it's a fair question to say, do I have everything that I want? Because everything I want, that's a never-ending list. We could go on forever. But to ask, do I have everything I need, is to say, do I have everything that's actually going to satisfy me? I think sometimes the best question is to say, do I have everything that I need? So today we're going to talk about Zechariah, we're going to talk about Elizabeth, and how God satisfied them in the midst of barrenness, in the midst of waiting for God to do what they really, really wanted. But before I go there, I want to talk a little bit about the definition of sin. Or maybe give you a little different of a perspective on the definition of sin. I think some of you probably heard before it says that we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. That sometimes we sin because we believe a lie about what would make us happy. You think about it. You think back to Genesis 1 and 2. Here Adam and Eve have every single thing that they need in the garden until Genesis 3 where the enemy comes and he basically says to Adam and Eve, are you sure you have everything you need? Are you really sure that you have everything you need? Because from my perspective, I think God's holding out on you. That was basically what the enemy said to them. You're missing something right here. One of the old church fathers, Ignatia of Loyola, he was a founding Jesuit priest. He defines sin as an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. That sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And see, that's what the enemy plays into. The enemy plays into the lie of saying to you, you know what? You would be happier if. That's pretty much the strategy of the enemy. The enemy pretty much has a three-point strategy. Number one, get us to believe that we're lacking something in our life. Number two, get us to believe that God is holding out on us. And number three, get us to believe that we know what's best for our lives. John Mark Comer summarizes it this way. He says, if the enemy can get us to doubt God and instead trust in our own inner intuition as an accurate compass to the good life, he's won. That's a strategy of the enemy to get us to believe that our own inner intuition is the best compass to navigate a good life. And see, that's where Advent comes in. 
Advent is more than just a reminder that God wants to be with us. Advent's a reminder that God wants to give us a fulfilled life, that God wants to comfort us with hope and faith in love and joy. Advent's our annual reminder that we don't have to follow our own inner intuition. Because as long as we have access to God through Jesus Christ, we're all set. And this is where the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth comes in. Because it shows us how God wants to be with us. What I love most about the story, I think, is the transformation that happens in their life because of waiting. That good things actually come out of their waiting. See, one thing that I think is a great transformation that you can quickly see is a transformation of the perspective. See, when the story starts in verse 20, verse 25, it does tell us that Elizabeth viewed her barrenness as a disgrace. Elizabeth viewed the situation that she was in as a disgrace that maybe God doesn't like her, or maybe God's not for her, or God's punishing her. At the same time, you have Zachariah, who suddenly he's experiencing not able to talk, not being able to talk. And my guess is Zachariah thought that was punishment as well, because most of us, when we read the story, we think that God took away Zachariah's voice as punishment. So both Zachariah and Elizabeth think they're being punished. But as it turns out, instead of Zachariah and Elizabeth being the object of God's wrath, they're actually the object of God's kindness. The theme of the story is not God's wrath. The theme of the story is God's kindness. The theme of the story is how God finds them in the middle of hopelessness and gives them the assurance that he is with them to bring them comfort. We know the story, they desperately want a son. They desperately desire that. And what's hard for them is because they know probably somewhere inside them, that's God's will for their life. But it hasn't happened yet. They seem to have lost all hope. Now, I know some of you might think this message is going to be about what do we need to do? What do we need to do to find more hope? This is not a message about what any of us need to do. Instead, it's a message on what has God already done for you? What has our God already done for me? It's a message about what you need to receive. That's what Advent is all about, what God wants to give to each and every one of us. We just need to be on the receiving side of the deal. But I think if we're really honest, we would all agree, waiting's hard. Sometimes hope can be very disappointing because things don't turn out the way you wanted or the way you expected or what you hoped for. And that's why in Proverbs it does say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think a lot of us have experienced hope deferred. What it's like when you don't see your prayers answered or you see your prayers answered in a way that you didn't anticipate or in a way that's actually turned out to be kind of disappointing. 
And that's a reminder of Advent that God comes into these hard situations. You don't have to pretend they don't exist. And that's the beauty of the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. It's easy to look at the story and think it's a story about barrenness. And I think we think that because often in our own life, we think sometimes our story is about the most difficult thing that's happening in our life. Because we have a tendency when something's hard in our life, that's what we only focus on, and we don't focus on anything else. But in this story, there's actually two distinct realities going on. There's two different stories that are going on. And once again, it's hard to live between two different realities. It's hard to navigate. See, on one hand, you have the story of a country that needs deliverance. You have the story of a nation that needs salvation. When Jerry read that scripture, it starts by saying, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. That's how the story begins. That one little sentence is packed with a lot of information. This is the whole setting of what's going on. Herod is king of the Jews. And if you were an Israelite, that's the last thing that you wanted was another Herod to rule over the, the Jewish nation. See, back in that day, the Israelites didn't have much choice of who's going to be their leader. The Roman Empire would, would determine who's going to be the leader of the Israel people. And the Herod comes from a long line of men named Herod. And the one thing that the Herods all had in common is they didn't like the Jews. So imagine that. Here your own king doesn't even like you. And what the king's goal for the Israelites is to kind of sabotage them. Herod knows that the, the Israelites worship the one true God, but Herod built a bunch of different te pagan temples throughout the city to try to distract people from actually worshiping the God that they wanted. And not only did Herod not like the people, but Herod was a pretty narcissistic as well as pretty ins insecure guy, and he was really worried that one of the Jewish people would rise up and overtake his throne. So when the Herod heard about the baby Jesus being born, you might remember in the story of Matthew 2, what Herod did, he tried to figure out where this baby is that's going to be born. And he couldn't figure out which baby a boy it was, so he just had all the boys under two years old killed. Because he wanted to make sure that he could stay on the throne. So that's what's going on in the nation at the time. You have an evil king that's ruling over the Israelites, and they don't like it one bit. And they're crying out to God, God, would you deliver us? Would you give us freedom? Would you give us a new leader? And not only that, but the Bible tells us that for the last 400 years, the Israelites have not heard a peep from God. He's not talked to them in 400 years. They had the Old Testament scripture, some of them to rely on, but God hasn't said anything fresh to them. The last thing that God said to the Israelites was Malachi 4, verse 5, where it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's what's going on. You haven't heard from God and you're wondering, God, when are you going to do that promise that you said you're going to do? It's been 400 years and we're still waiting. So that's one half of the story, a nation that wants a deliverance. And the other half of the story is that you have an elderly couple that desperately wants a child. They've been praying for decades they would have a child because they needed a child for kind of like social security. They needed to raise up children that they would, watch, that they would take care of them as they got older. They didn't have the reliance of a social security system like we have, so they had to have kids to take care of them when they got older. They had to rely on their kids to provide for them when they got older. In addition, not having kids, that was just looked at upon as a curse. 
So you see a nation that wants deliverance and you see a couple that wants a child. And when these are two different stories, you think, God, why don't you just give these people a kid? Why do you make them wait till they're old? Why didn't you do it when they were younger? But when you put the two stories together, you start to see timing is very important. You start to see that timing is very necessary for what God is about to do. When you bring the two stories together, you start to realize there's a much bigger thing going on than just Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting. And I hope that encourages all of you that your own personal suffering or maybe your own personal obstacle in your life is more than you just waiting. Your story is part of the bigger picture of what God is actually doing. That your life or your story or what you're going through may actually be something that God is using to bring salvation to other people. That what you're going through in your life, your season of waiting, God might actually be doing for you to bring hope and encouragement to other people. See, sometimes the convergence of our story and the timing of God is going to produce things that are bigger than any of us could ask or imagine, or hope for. See, God had called Zachariah and Elizabeth's son to be John the Baptist. A significant man that would be the forerunner to Jesus Christ. This man had a destiny, a plan, and a purpose for his life. A plan to announce Jesus to the world. And it's no different from any of you listening to me. You are called to announce Jesus to the world too. The plans and purposes that God has for your life are just as important and just as strategic as John the Baptist. And sometimes the timing of our life and the timing of our events is just as strategic of when John the Baptist would be born. But it's easy to forget it's easy to forget that sometimes because waiting can be painful and it can be difficult and not having hope can make you feel pretty discouraged at time. But what if your biggest disappointment or one of your biggest challenges in your life, God was going to use it to help bring salvation and encouragement to other people as well as to develop your own spiritual gifts. What if in all the waiting that's going on in your life, it's for the benefit of somebody else, but it's also to mature you and your ability to use the spiritual gifts that God has created for you to use? See, the hard thing about waiting is that it produces weakness. But weakness is actually what every follower of Jesus is actually looking for. See, our culture tells us that only the strong will survive. Our culture tells us you can do it on your own. Our culture tells us never admit weakness. Our culture always tells us fake it until you make it. But actually, in the economy of God, weakness is always used to your advantage. See, the Bible tells us that transformation is not the result of working harder, but transformation and restoration happen when we recognize our own weaknesses 
and we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what weakness does. It exposes in us more of our need for God. But sometimes it's hard to get to that place to say, I'm going to surrender. See, we kind of live with this whole idea that we want to do it on our own. And during this Advent season, in order for us to experience Advent, I think it's good for us to acknowledge what is your weakness or what is your doubt. Because Advent comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth at their point of deepest hopelessness. Here Zechariah is faithfully serving God, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, you're going to have a son. An angel is standing next to him says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah says, no, that's impossible. That's a lot of doubt. That's a lot of discouragement. That's a lot of deferred hope that makes the heart sick. But it was at that exact point that God enters into their story and says, you know, Zechariah, your future is not determined by your faith. It's determined by my faith. And God steps into Zechariah's situation and says, I am going to prepare you for what I'm going to do in your life. And that's the beautiful part of the story. It's not up to Abraham or Zechariah. It's not up to Elizabeth to prove that they have a bunch of faith, to pretend that they have a bunch of faith, to strive to please God. It's up to them to be honest and say, no, I'm doubting right now. I really don't believe you can do it right now. But that's the stage of Advent, is hopelessness and discouragement. And for us to get on stage, we have to acknowledge our place of hopelessness and our place of disappointment and our place of struggling to believe that the impossible is going to happen. So as we move into this Advent season, as we move into this Christmas season, I think it's important for us to be really honest. What's going on in your life? Where do you have doubt? Where do you feel like my needs aren't being met? Or where do you feel like I'm struggling to be really satisfied? Because that's the point where God came into the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and changed everything. And the beautiful part of the story is that he did answer their prayers and he gave them a son. But I think a lot of us know what it's like to pray for something and you don't get it. See, the truth is, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they didn't get the son they were hoping for. They were hoping for a son that would take care of them, that would provide for them as they got older. But instead of getting a caretaker, they got a missionary. They got a world changer. They got a young man that went and lived in the wilderness as part of his preparation. They didn't get what they wanted. Their prayer was answered, but they didn't get the son that they wanted. But you know what the story tells us? When the angel came to Zechariah, it says, you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at your son's birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Their son didn't turn out to be 
the son that they wanted. But they still had great joy and they had gladness because God gave them what they needed. And God was going to use their son to announce the birth of Jesus. That God was going to use their son as a forerunner to Jesus. But another beautiful thing that happens in the story that's easy to overlook is the transformation that happened to Zechariah over this nine-month period. God comes to Zechariah, and Zechariah is in the middle of the temple doing good priestly things. Zechariah was a man that followed God even though he had doubt and even though he had discouragement. See, I love that about Zechariah. See, Zechariah, he's, he's authentic, but he's also vulnerable. See, authentic's the willingness to admit, I'm doubtful, I'm discouraged, and I'm hopeless. That's authentic. Vulnerable is being able to say, I'm, I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated, but I'm still going to follow God even though it doesn't make sense right now. That's true vulnerability, is your willingness to say, God, you don't make any sense, but I'm not going to follow my inner compass. I'm going to follow you right now. And that's the beauty of what Abraham did. He still followed God even though he was discouraged. But God did something remarkable in Zechariah that you cannot overlook in the story. Zechariah went from being a man who at one point, an angel standing next to him, and Zechariah says, nah, it's never going to happen. God's not going to do for me what I really need. But by the end of the chapter, 10 months later, Zechariah is going to be known as one of the best prophets of the New Testament. Through a season of waiting, through a season of disappointment, but through a season of also being vulnerable, God developed in this man a prophetic gifting that was still talked about today. That chapter 1 closes with with Zechariah giving this whole prophetic word about what God is going to do. The whole prophetic word about what his son is going to do. So we're talking a lot about spiritual gifts and what God wants to do to develop gifts in each of us. We're going to talk about that a lot next year. And one of the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about is prophecy. And Paul says to us, eagerly desire that gift. Eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And I think we all kind of desire that gift. We're all like, yeah, I would like to know what's going to happen in the future. I would like to encourage people. I'd like to edify people. I'd like to comfort people. We all really would like the gift of prophecy. But the gift of prophecy, you don't learn just by going to school. You don't learn by just reading a book on how to do it. You learn how to be prophetic by going through the same school that Zechariah went through. The school where you get uncomfortable. You get frustrated. You go through the school of doubt and disappointment and discouragement. You go through the school of unanswered prayers. You go through the school of waiting and waiting and waiting. But look what God developed in Zechariah as a result. It's a beautiful story of the transformation of Zechariah, that he went from a doubting man 
to a prophet where the scripture tells us the Spirit of God came on him and he prophesied. That's a beautiful transformation that happens. It's a beautiful prophetic word that he gave where he said, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of the servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all those who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us in the path of peace. That's what God revealed to Zechariah. See, Zechariah's 10 months of silence, that wasn't, that wasn't punishment. That was his preparation. That was his preparation to be alone with God, to be quiet with God, to hear the voice of God so he could see what God is going to do in the future. So easy to look at this story, and we compare Zechariah in chapter 1 to Mary in chapter 2, and we say, boy, let's all be like Mary. She had outstanding faith. That's a good thing to be like her. She had good faith. But look what God did in Zechariah. I think sometimes we identify a little bit more with Zechariah. Like, I want to be honest, I don't have a whole lot of faith right now. I'm a little discouraged and I'm a little disappointed. But look what God did. He transformed this man. And he gave this man a son that would be a blessing to the world, but also bring him and his wife great comfort and great joy and great peace. And this is a time of year that we look at the gifts that God has given to us and we say, I don't know. That doesn't look like what I was hoping for or asking for. But as the scripture says, at just the right time, God will do what you need. And that's the beauty of Advent. At just the right time. God, I thank you today that you are a God of timing that you give us exactly what we need at exactly the right time. God, help us to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth, that we would be obedient to you in the midst of our hopelessness or in the midst of our frustration or in the midst of our discouragement. But God, we come before you today, Lord, and we offer to you our doubts and our disappointments. And God, I pray that you'd bring each of us into a, a period of restoration like you did for Zechariah so that we can be alone with you and we can hear what you're going to do. God, we desire to be closer to you. And so, Lord, I pray you administer to each person here with encouragement today. God, would you bless us as we close in this final song. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.